Good morning, this is Coffee with the Sardles, and I'm Karen. And I'm Kelly, and today we have our special guest Jim back on the show for part two of an investigation of history. So welcome, Jim. Yes, good morning. Uh, part two of Grandpa's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you want to begin? Sure. Uh, well, first I'll say if you're tuning into part two before part one, you better go back because none of this is going to make any sense. Uh, so, yeah, I just want to start with uh, maybe clarifying a couple of things. Um, if uh, anyone uh, listening is under the impression that I came to see Karen to uh, get information and uh, uh, go back and prove maybe that she's right or she's wrong, uh, essentially that's not, that is not correct. Um, the information I receive, I, I would certainly go home and investigate it, but to the point where I tried to find physical evidence uh, of the clues that she was providing me. Uh, not for the purpose of, uh, saying, oh, she's, uh, she's full of crap or not, right? That's, that's, that's not what we're doing here. Uh, everything is definitely legitimate. And, uh, well, I don't know how many sessions I've come, but, uh, over a year and a half anyway, uh, I have found nothing that's been incorrect. You two seem to work very well as a team. Well, it's very much a team team effort at, at this point, for sure. Uh, I'd be I'd be nowhere without coming here. So, I I enjoyed it because I got to know your grandpa, <laughs> and I get to know him each time you come, and how much he loves you. As as you know, sometimes I would sit there and say, "Oh my goodness, I can feel how much he loves you," and I think you know, at one time, Jim when you were wondering why he was speaking in riddles to you and not giving you more direct answers, because I know as a medium that the client right after you and right before you could have got way better answers than you. <laughs> and, um, and it made me wonder why your grandpa was giving you things in riddles, but it, it became really clear that it was um, your way of having a relationship with him that was true to his character and true to yours versus somebody just coming in and saying, I, I want an answer to something and I want to move on. This, this gave you purpose. Um, it, it, it gave you um, um, a time and a space to be yourself again. And um, that part of yourself that likes to investigate things and uh, seek and find and the joy that you feel when you talk about, I, I didn't get a giggle. I, I knew it wasn't right because I didn't laugh, that in your own way, you were also discovering who you are, and that your grandfather enjoyed watching you um, uh, get to that space. Oh, yeah, it's uh, definitely a purpose uh, was something I was looking for uh, after retiring, uh, needed something, some, another grand adventure. And this is, this is a really big adventure. So uh, it also leads into another point, actually, from one of our sessions. Um, another very funny point, I thought, anyways. Um, we've been going through many, many sessions of getting little clues here, little clues there. Some of them uh, definitely meant something right away, and others are just kind of like, we were looking at each other like, what the heck is that? Um, so I remember at one point you said to me, you know what, why is he always giving me riddles? I'm going to ask him why he's giving me riddles, why he can't just give me a straight answer. And I, I remember at that moment thinking, oh, don't ask him that, right? Just don't do it. But you asked him, and 
you ended up writing down Marta and Martha on a piece of paper. <laughs> and we both kind of looked at that again and said, oh, good, another clue. Right, what is that? And um, I got to looking at that when I got home. And, uh, of course, the big search, right? I looked for everything, Marta and Martha. And the only thing I could come up with on Google uh, had to do with Marta and Mary. Uh, of course, you know, uh, Mary, uh, uh, St. Mary, and, and Marta, the sister, who would sit and listen to Jesus tell his stories. And uh, well, I guess it was Mary that was listening to the stories, not, not Marta. And um, he was basically calling you impatient to sit down and listen to the story and quit asking uh, silly questions. So uh, that, that's, that, that really plays into his sense of humor for sure. And uh, I guess that was uh, uh, another sign to just, just take the clues as they come and, you know, work with it. So uh, that, that's really what we've been doing here, but uh, that has to say a lot. Um, I like that. I, 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 there's a relationship between myself and the spirit world, and, there's, and you're proving it. You're proving it. Uh, I, I know this. They give me shit. Sometimes in the middle of sessions, I, they, they tell me to pay attention. They tell me to stop talking. <laughs> like huh. they, they will just point blank say, stop talking right now. Or you haven't said that right. Don't filter it. I said it this way. So I have to listen to all of that. And many times in sessions, I burst out laughing or because they're giving me shit. And it's like, oh, okay. There, there it is. <laughs> there's, there's Karen's character in, in this part of it, which if I can say this really honestly, makes me love myself too in this process that I have to have that patience. I have to make sure and catch myself. So I'm always engaging in my own ego and having to be aware of it. And when I'm not aware of it, not only does my daughter let me know <laughs> and my son, <laughs> um, but the spirit world lets me know in a grand old way. And you, you just, yeah, there it is. Oh, yeah. There's definitely ongoing conversation and a requirement to be correct. Um, I jump back to a session that's given us some clues that I haven't really worked on a lot yet. Um, grandfather's return trip from uh, trying to get home back in 1945 after, you know, the later stages of the war. And uh, if you if you recall, he, he ran into, and I'm going to say it, a bunch of Italians. Oh, Jim, I do remember this. Yeah, and... and uh, so I came in for a session to clarify this, and I said, so tell me more about this bunch of Italians. And within seconds, we got fired back. There wasn't a bunch. There was only three. So, I mean, he was definitely right in there making sure our information was getting there correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about these three Italians? Um, well, I might as well mention a few things. Uh, Can I just ask yeah. the question? Because I think I, I lost myself there. So... Where did the information about a bunch of Italians come from? Uh, an earlier session. Okay. We were trying to clarify uh, his route home and what he had seen and what he had done, his experiences trying to get home. Mm -hmm. And he had encountered some Italians, okay. some Italian uh, men. And uh, I referred to them as a bunch of Italians. Mm -hmm. And clearly that was incorrect. Was, so he corrected oh. you yes. in another session? Oh, yeah. Oh, neat. Okay. Very quickly. So instead of like a whole 
pile of Italians, I'm looking at three, right? So. Well, maybe that's significant in that it wasn't like a, a regiment or um, uh, an army, but meaning stragglers uh, or, or, or people that are also trying to find their way home. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And um, like I say, this is none of this has uh, been looked at too closely yet by myself, uh, but there were a lot of Italians uh, inside Germany. Uh, the, the Italians, just to go back in history, the Italians signed on with the Axis powers with Germany to fight the Allies. Um, when Mussolini was uh, eventually lynched, uh, they, they were basically done as a fighting force. And they ended up, they had a choice from Hitler. Hitler gave them a choice that they could either join his army or be placed in, in labor camps, essentially become prisoners. Um, some went in both directions, and others were just told they were going one way or the other. But they're essentially captive. They were either fighting for the Germans or they were working for them or rotting away in camps, right? So they were placed in different areas of Germany. And uh, certainly in, in that north central uh, uh, to north uh, western part of germ or part of Poland correction uh, on the border of Germany what would be today the border of Germany uh, there were a few camps that had a lot of Italian people working in them uh, and I I have the name of it somewhere in my notes here really try to pronounce it uh, one of them uh, you know what I'm gonna look for it for a second okay can I ask a question while you're looking? Certainly. Um, you just you seem to have a remarkable knowledge of geography and history. Did this come like prior to this investigation with your grandfather, or is this something that you've learned and absorbed all along the way? You know, uh, I knew. I'm not going to say I knew all of this before I started this. Uh, no way. This has forced me through all of these clues, uh, clues being very general and broad, to research the entire scope. Of, of the Second World War. Um, and maybe that's part of this purpose. Um, not just to get his small story, which isn't really small, but he was certainly part of a much larger event that involved a lot, lot more people. Um, so to know the whole story as opposed to just that narrow part, you know, it, it just makes it so much better. And you get the better context for the whole thing. You get a better feel. You know, why did this kind of action happen? Well, because this was going on over here in Hungary or Romania or whatever. Like, uh, and not to insult any listeners, but where do you ever see Hungary and Romania in any of the documents, uh, books, or even movies? You don't. Uh, you know very little about them uh, uh, during that time. So I actually did a lot of research in there because... I had no idea. Maybe he was ever he, he was there. I, I just didn't know. So yeah, it's uh, certainly I've had to expand my knowledge of that whole time. Mm -hmm. I, I had mentioned to you uh, after we taped yesterday that um, it was an interesting. It's been an interesting time for me over the last year and a half that you've been coming in um, researching your grandfather's story and how it's about the Second World War. Um, when I had um, a, a lady come to see me who um, asked me to channel Joan of Arc. And 
um, we did that for about an hour or so. And she wanted the history of Joan of Arc. And then she asked me if she could come back and she wanted another person. And I said, uh, I think I know who it is. And she said, who? And I said, it's Hitler. And she said, how do you know that? And I said, because I can see him. He's standing by my fireplace. And she said, yes, I, I, that's exactly who I would like. I would like to ask him questions. So she came back and I channeled Hitler for about four hours. And um, she recorded all of that. And uh, long story short, she is has a PhD in history, and she was writing history books for Canada. And what I found out was that a lot of the Canadian history books were actually written by um, Americans, and that the the way that the war the the war was told to us. Uh, and I'm fi- I'm 54, so anybody listening knows my age, um, because I say it in every podcast. And um, it might be a trademark, <laughs> the podcast. But she, she, she was researching, and th- there was a, a really interesting little thing that happened at the end of um, talking about Joan of Arc. Joan said to her, "Thank you for the red rose," and she said, "Karen." Um, I'm confused. You mean I gave her a rose or she gave me a rose? Clarify that. And I said, no. I said, she's giving you shit. She's saying stop playing games and that you gave her the rose and don't behave like this. And so she did say to me um, that she had lived in... in, um, in Europe for several months, I, th- I don't know if it was three or four months or six months, researching from the, um, from the European background, everything that happened during the war, as opposed to just what Canadians and Americans were told. And um, she went to Joan of Arc's house, and the day that she left Europe, she left a red rose for her on the coffee table in Joan's house. So she got an affirmation for Joan that she did receive and saw her put the red rose down. And she told me all of this was accurate. So during this period of time, I have Joan of Arc and Hitler, and I'm channeling that for a person writing history books. And you're coming in and asking all these questions, and I'm learning from your grandfather another story. And I'm learning from um, this other lady that's researching um, other stories as well that the Canadian slash American history books are not telling us. Yeah, it's, uh, it is quite amazing. You know, the books have steered everybody in a certain direction for, for whatever purpose, uh, you know, if there was a purpose. And uh, yeah, it's nice to hear uh, another side. Uh, like you look at, look at war, right? Um, everybody knows Army A and Army B and what they did and where they went and what happened. Nobody knows about the people that were stuck in between, the regular civilian people that had to live there. And uh, it's kind of nice to get some of that because it, it, it makes it real. You know, the assumption that everybody just packed up and left, right? And there was nothing but two armies standing on this field. Well, that's not always true. Uh, so a lot of people were affected and nobody has their stories. And that's truly, truly sad because that's the real story. Well, and I, I'm not um, a TV person, and I'm I'm not a movie person. So, um, but to some degree, in in my past, I've seen a, a little bit. I haven't seen Schindler's List or anything like that. But I know that movies um, versus documentaries um, don't always have the facts correct either, 
or they take it and Hollywood might take it and just show one aspect of the war so that we don't see what happens to all of the other people, but they might focus on one one group of people and tell their story. Um, and that's, that's why I thought it was fascinating for you to come because you're picking out one person and trying to figure uh, and trying to share that story. Right. Yeah. And, and others probably might be able to relate. Like he wasn't the only one doing this. Uh, there were others with him at some point and, uh, yeah, they would have similar experiences if they told them. So that, that's the big question, right? Did anybody's stories ever get out there? But, uh, I managed to dig up my, uh, my notes here. Uh, yeah, now I have to try and pronounce it. All right. So, Christ, Christkowitz, and I'll spell it K R Z Y S T K O W I S E, or I C E, sorry. Now, that is, uh, that connects to yet uh, another location that we did have some contact with in, in a session. Um, he was trying to pronounce the name of a location and it was, you wrote it as it was pronounced, uh, Bugasha. Now, Bugasha, what, like, what is that? Now we have to remember we're dealing with, first of all, he's Dutch. So you've, you've got, you've got the Dutch language, uh, Poland's involved. So you've got Polish and Germans involved. So we've got three different languages, potentially three spellings, right? And dialects, whatever to work with here. Um, well, and throw English in there. We don't know. I was to... just going to say and throw in that I'm, I'm English yeah. <laughs> and that my background doesn't have anything to do with any of those languages. So I have to hear him and try and get that down for you. Right. Now this does connect with the Italians, the three Italians, um, I uh, spent many, many hours trying to decipher Bugasha. I went to uh, Polish Phonetic Alphabet on Google. You can actually find one of these things. And tried to place the sounds, each of the sounds in Bugasha, with the spelling I'd come up with in Polish. And so I got that. Then I went and did the same thing with the German. And I uh, put that together. And they weren't really that close together. Um, so I zeroed in on the Polish one because it seemed to make more sense. And then if you go to Google Translate and type it in there, you can hit the little button that allows it, it it'll, it'll say it to you. So you can actually hear how it sounds. And from there, I would adjust a letter or two and come up with what sound like Bugasha. And the closest I could get was a village spelt B-0-G-A-C-Z-O-W, which happens to be in the direction he stated he was walking after he left the camp. Now, yeah, he could have gone anywhere, but this one just for some reason seemed to make more sense. And in that village, there were several camps right next door. And I mean, right next door, like we're talking maybe 1K down the road, there are lar very large camps. Uh, one of them was a, a munitions factory. And it was basically all the people working in it were Italian. They were Italian captives, right? It used to be uh, military people. And they were put to work in these camps. So we have a connection to possibly running into Italian people. 
right there in this location. So have I confirmed that this is where he was? No, not yet. But for me, uh, there's a pretty good chance that he was there or in that very area and may have run into some of these fellas. I've decided in September when they have the, like, take your kid to work day, I'm going to work with you. <laughs> I'm just going to sit next to your computer and watch you work. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. You know, sometimes somebody else seeing, actually seeing what's going on, you can pick things out. It's too easy when you're doing an investigation to use your own biases and zero in on something you want to see. And you, you'll miss a lot of the other information that, that might actually be correct, right? You'll choose what works best for you and you'll end up going in the wrong direction. And everybody does it, myself included. So somebody else actually looking at your work might be able to go, yeah, but what about this, right? Something you never considered totally ignored and that might actually be the spot you should have gone so yeah you bring that up but oh very good Excellent. point that's him consenting everyone just heard it yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah now i'm gonna stay on the italian theme here uh since we're there um you also brought up a name magnoli and uh what does that mean i have no idea sure sounds like an italian name to me um, I haven't found any gentleman with that name yet that I could tie back to this location, albeit that's going to be a difficult search, but, uh, this whole thing's been difficult. So, uh, yeah, just par for the course. So we've got Italians in the area. We've got this town that sounds like Bugacha. Uh, we've got a last name of somebody. We even described Mr. Magnoli. Um, as well as another fella, one of the three, I guess. How did I describe him? Uh, well, Mr. Mag, actually, it might've been the other guy that was with Mr. Magnoli you oh, described. Go for it, Jim. He, uh, his nickname was Shorty. <laughs> so he, so he had his nickname and, uh, he had a cleft palate and he was about five foot two. So, I mean, that's pretty decent description. A cleft palate. Might be the might be the, a key thing that if somebody's listening to this, yeah, with that name goes back, knows that can reach you and connect with you, yeah. uh, hopefully. Yeah, well, uh, hey, you never know in this game, and uh, so that's pretty good. Apparently, he was my grandfather's having a drink with these fellas, which I found interesting. I've never known my grandfather to drink, but you know what? The middle of a war, <laughs> why not? Right? I'd probably sit there all day and have a whole bunch. Um. But yeah, uh, so there, there, there's some clues there to work on for sure. Um, where we went from there, I'm not really sure. But after this town, somewhere down the line, they came to another village, a small village with a large house. That doesn't tell us much, but there was also a church. And there was something to do with the fact that they had placed a flag on the roof of the building likely and i'm making an assumption here which is which is not the cool thing to do but uh i would see that you would put a flag on the roof of your building so you wouldn't get bombed right i mean there was a lot of allied bombing going on at that period of the war and uh, you would certainly want to know that now please not this building right so you'd place a flag on the roof and hopefully they'd see it right so there's that in the middle of this story 
and then he got tied up with a, another large group and they were moving off to another camp which sounds to me like it may have been a, a displaced person camp and the group he was involved with uh it's looking to be like probably they were uh german refugees now german you'd ask well, why german refugees at this point well when germany occupied poland they literally took people from their homes and their businesses the polish people mainly the jewish people from poland and threw them into ghettos or directly to camps with the idea like what's yours is now ours and and you're done so then they invited germans to occupy these places gave them the homes gave them the furniture and everything that was in it it's yours and i guess this is a way to uh, uh, spread the german population across that area as they took it over so as the russians i say russians the soviets they'd be the soviets at this point in history were making their push eastward uh these germans were packing up and leaving they were headed back to germany they did not want uh, to fear that they were fearing the reprisals of the uh, Soviet soldiers. Um, so they were bugging out. And there would have been thousands of them on the roads and trails trying to get out of the way. So it is very, very possible that he tagged along with this large group of people because I doubt he would have been able to evade them. They would have been everywhere. So just pile in with them and, and move on. And at some point, they ended up at another camp, which I would believe to be something like a displaced persons camp. Now, they had them set up after the war. In May 45, they started setting them up. Uh, so they probably didn't refer to it as a displaced persons camp. It could have been uh, another concentration camp that wasn't being used anymore because they were all evacuated. Uh, or just a large containment area. But they, uh, this group that he was in tried to get into this camp. And this all came out in one of your sessions. Um, he tried to get into the camp, but the camp was full. So they were turned away. And they had to go back to this village where they had the flag on the roof. So I still have yet to determine where that took place. Um, I can imagine probably more than one location that that kind of activity was going on. Um, so that just adds to the interest here and a little bit more digging. So, uh, yeah, so the stage has been set for his, his trip home and, and some of the things he was involved in. Um, and somewhere along the line, he was also on a train. I remember that session. Uh, you were describing to me he was sitting on a train. He was placed on a train, actually. Uh, told he could not be where he was. So for me, um, that makes it sound to me that he was in an area that was now occupied by a different military and uh, of, from the Allies. Um, they were being removed from that area for whatever reason, placed on a train. The train, uh, apparently he didn't get a seat. He was in... Uh, in like a more of an open car and uh they left the area but the train somehow had an issue like like it was derailed at some point and uh this is where the story is kind of like there's little bits and pieces um there were soldiers coming up on the sides of the train and he was pulled out of the train by some women 
Now that, that's kind of interesting. I don't know where that would ever fall in, but going from all the other scattered bits of information that seemed, dare I say it, crazy at the time that we got it, uh, I have to believe that this happened, and now my job is to try and plug that in uh, to his return trip somewhere. So uh, lots of interesting studying to be going on yet, for sure. So uh, the story keeps getting better, I guess. So from, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the return trip, and I want to go back to the resistance photograph. The, the, the photograph uh, of the group of resistance personnel. This is a very uh, unique photograph, and a very interesting photograph. There's lots of stories to be told, I'm sure, from that photo. Um, I remember one session, we were trying to get information about this photo, like anything whatsoever. Tell us about this group. And you ended up channeling uh, one of the three ladies. Uh, her name was Mary, or Marie, however you want to pronounce it. Um, and she started telling us uh, about the people, like, in, in the photo and what they did. Not by name, but, and I think you alluded to it on part one, one of them would be, like, uh, the doctor, and one of them was in charge of getting food and, and whatnot. And she just went on and started listing the makeup of this of this group that each person had a purpose right and that, and that's why they came together as a team now i find it interesting uh there is one of the uh ladies names the last name is seegers s-e-i-g-e-r-s um and i'm picking her as potentially being marie and and i do that because it, it all works for me. It, it works for me. Uh, hard to explain. Now, absent from this photo is one of the founding members of this group because he was long since in prison. He'd been captured years before. His name was Jan Seegers. And I know from all the research that his wife was also involved in doing a lot of work with the resistance. So it only makes sense to me that, hey, maybe Marie is Marie Seegers, who is identified in the photo as Mrs. Seegers. So playing off of that, there's a connection to yet another gentleman who we may eventually end up talking to, uh, because I'm sure he's got a large part of the story to tell. Is he dead? Yes, he is. Okay, thanks. Late 90s mm -hmm. at some point. Uh, he was well uh, uh, awarded for his efforts in the... In, in the uh, resistance, so. I ask you that because he just said to me, I'm dead. Oh. <laughs> so it's my way of affirming that he is and that I can get him. Definitely. As awesome. opposed to that he could still be alive, and if you say to me, no, he's alive, then I have somebody else. Right. Okay. Right, for sure. Well, there we go, off on another another adventure there. So, um, yeah, some of this is starting to get put together. But as you were, as Marie was talking to you, I'm going to say Marie. It could be Mary. I'm going to say Marie. Um, you were writing down a lot of key words. Is she dead too? I really don't know. You know, I, I think she actually is, but not that long ago. Could be Maria. That could be as well. Uh, I just heard Maria. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not going to sing it like that. Hey, um, I'm not filtering, remember? <laughs> So I, I did read an article recently, however, 
that someone in that family, and it might have been her, had passed on, and the remaining part of the family had acquired some documents that were held with the family, and they had just recently donated them to a museum in Holland. And it's one of the museums that's on my list to, to visit because I know they have information that I don't have. And uh, it will be very interesting to see what, what's involved with that collection. So there, there, there might be some goody stuff there, right? So, yeah, once again, it's on my list. But back to Maria, without the ah, right? Um, <laughs> You're mocking her, not me. Let's be clear yeah, about it, this. She'll come back and get Careful. me. Careful. <laughs> I mock Karen a lot, and I know what happens within <laughs> seconds afterward. Oh, not good. But, uh, all right, we'll move on. Um, one of the words you wrote down was 1914M as in Mike, okay? So 1914M. Uh, that was one of the things you, she had given you, and you had written it down on a piece of paper for me. And I remember at the time us looking at each other going, 1914, that's hardly World War II. Like, where are we going with this number, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what does the M stand for? We thought maybe a month or something. But we moved on with the session. And I got home and I started looking at that going, 1914... So again, of course, I researched 1914. Maybe there was an uh, event that had some kind of connection to what we were dealing with. Uh, you never know. So I got to read all about 1914. It didn't take me anywhere, anywhere I thought I needed to go anyway. Then I started looking at that resistance photo again. And looking at a picture of my grandfather, and he happened to be wearing uh, uh, a gun belt, uh, a pistol belt. And you can only see the holster. But right away I thought, 1914, we're, we're being dumb about this. We're just thinking about a year. So I got on Google again, good old Google, and I typed in 1914 Model M, hit enter, and popped up pictures of pistols and holsters. And wouldn't you know, Mauser made a Model 1914. Uh, and the holster looks identical to the one that he is wearing. Now, I can't see the pistol inside it, but you know what? I thought that was pretty cool. I'm just showing you a picture of that right now. Oh, that's cool. So, just maybe that was... So, that's the one that's in the picture? Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah. All right, cool. What that means, I don't know, but again, we were getting little tidbits from Maria, and uh, maybe that's what uh, she was just trying to uh, tell us about the photo. So, yeah, awesome. Now, there was another point that I'm still investigating with that photo. Another thing that you wrote down was gunshot left temple. And that sounds pretty violent. Definitely is. So what does that have to do with this photograph? My thoughts were at the time somebody in this photo maybe got shot in the left temple. Um, now, if anybody has that photo in front of them and looking at it, the gentleman front row, far right, and kneeling down is Yen Outman. Now, he's very famous with this group, uh, for whatever reason, but he is one that was definitely killed in 1944, shortly after that photo was taken. Um, this gentleman was... He was out on a mission with another guy, 
and uh, he was being chased by a German soldier that ran Camp Erika, which was not far from their location. And this guy, this German fellow, was fanatical, and he his mission was to go hunt down all forms of resistance and deal with them. He ended up coming across Mr. Outman on a farm, chased him into a barn. Uh, Mr. Outman couldn't get out of the barn, and he was subsequently shot multiple times, uh, apparently in the back, but then finished off with a shot to the head. Now, it's all pretty violent for morning discussion, but it is part of, part of this story. Um, whether that was what Maria was referring to with gunshot left temple, I do not know. Um, but obviously I'm looking into it. So, uh, these, these clues as they were coming that seemingly didn't really mean anything at the time have definitely got some really good possibilities. So. Where do you end up finding this evidence? Oh, a lot of, uh, a lot of research and... I'll say again, you, when, you, when you hit keywords in Google, mm-hmm. you can get multiple hits. Mm-hmm. So you, you start to make it more specific, right? So um, in this case, I would type Mr. Outman, like Jan Outman. I'd type his name. And you get all kinds of Wikipedia wonderful stuff that, you know, a lot of that is garbage. A lot of it's based on good information, but people get to add to it, and, and it kind of corrupts it. Um. But keep going down page after page after page and and also be, you know, aware of the fact that you might have to go to pages that are of a different language, right? This is dealing with Dutch history. Right. So you're going to want to read the foreign language entries. And in this case, they turn out to have much different information. So you hit the good old translate and you come up with stuff that's sort of translated properly and sometimes makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Uh, so you have a little fun with that. Um, in this case, I was probably five, six pages after the initial page in Google. Long after the subject matter seemed to have, you know, shot off in different directions. And then, and then it came to some entries um, about court cases. And they were court cases dealing with uh, the gentleman that shot Mr. Outman, uh, this German. His last name was Beaker. And uh, he was tracked. They tried to uh, uh, convict him of murdering Mr. Outman many, many times. But he got sick. Then he was put in jail. And then he escaped and made his way to Germany. And then he was protected. And, you know, the story goes on and on. Um, so they never really successfully convicted him. And he, he died without being convicted. Um but in this one story, the lady that was on the farm, the, the farmer's wife, she witnessed this. She witnessed uh, uh, Mr. Outman being shot. And she was bringing her story uh, out in, in court. And uh, <clears throat> this was like the one entry that was actually describing this event. All the other entries just quickly skim over the surface and say, yeah, he was shot by Mr. Beaker, you know doesn't give you any details and perhaps maybe they, nobody needs to know those details they don't care or it's irrelevant for whatever reason boy it sure would be relevant to his family uh, absolutely absolutely yeah. relevant his grandson or his you know oh uh, definitely yeah definitely but again as you see history it's all about the big things that's all anybody ever gets to see or hear 
the fine details that actually make the big thing make sense is all lost or it's hidden somewhere uh, in obscurity and, and you really do have a hard time finding it. So you have to be very, very patient and, and just keep plugging away and, and, and keep, you know, if something comes up in your head, it, just don't toss it away. Type it in and it only takes a minute and see what comes up. It might take you somewhere that you never thought you'd be going. So that, hence this investigation, right? So I call that tools in the toolbox and life lessons. <laughs> yes, tools. Well, I was just going to say, I'm, I always throw in Grey's Anatomy as much as she throws in her age in every podcast. <laughs> and we just, <laughs> we just finished watching the finale the other night. And there's so much respect for a life. And as I'm listening to you talk about um, how you research, how you investigate, and the kinds of questions that you ask, I hear over and over how much you desire to respect an individual life by exposing their story, by, by honoring the information and making sure that it's correct. And anyway, I just wanted to say I admire that. Well, uh, thanks. And, and it is important. I mean, uh, you might think you're long displaced, no relation to some of these people, but really, does that not matter? I mean, uh, for myself, this is, a, this is part of the story, albeit a little piece off to the side, maybe. But my grandfather was involved with the group, and he was in it. Uh, so for me, it's very much a piece of this puzzle. And, and, and it helps to tell the whole story. Otherwise, who knows? You might be sitting there listening, go, yeah, yeah, I was part of a little group, little gang, you know, maybe call them Boy Scouts or whatever. And they went off and did some stuff. You know, you have to understand that these people, uh, they joined this group knowing the consequences, the potential consequences. Uh, it was right out there, you know, if you're an active member of resistance and you are caught, you will be shot or hanged or whatever else we want to do to you, right? But you weren't likely coming out of it alive. Uh, so you had to commit yourself to this cause. So that goes above and beyond what, what a lot of people would do. You know, a lot of people would like to do stuff like that maybe, but just can't find for their own personal reasons, you know, the stuff to get involved. Like maybe it's more important for them to be at home, which is definitely important. So. Oh, Jim, I think about people right now listening to this that can't even commit to going out on a Friday night or can't commit to, you know, signing up to lose weight or to change a life pattern or something that can't commit to anything anymore because they want to just see what's currently in front of, in front of them that can entertain them the most. All right. And you're talking about committing to something that could cause harm to their body, torture, pain, uh, pain to their family, and death. And that they're willing to do that. And how very little current people right now are w not willing to commit to those things. Oh, absolutely. It, it comes down to what what is the greater good, really? Like, what are you really looking for? If it's something that's really worth it, why aren't you doing it? Yeah, I, all these people, they, uh, they had committed themselves to the cause knowing that uh, they might not live to see another day. And they all had families. But to uh, uh, live in that country that was occupied by an army that was less than stellar, um, you know, you're not willing to live under those rules. So you would have probably not survived to begin with. So just, just get on with it and do what you can to change it. And if you don't come out of it in the other end alive, well, then maybe 
some of your family will or some of your friends will. And it really, that that's, should be what it's all about. Uh, not this every man for himself business. I'm a big team guy. Uh, maybe that's the military in me. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, if you're the one that has to be out front today and it's your time, well, then that's your time because tomorrow it might be your buddy. The day before that, your other buddy was doing it. So it's all about uh, helping each other. So yeah, this was a team and they did a very good job of what they were doing and uh, awesome for him to get involved in that. But again, that's very much suiting his character. Um, you know, he was involved in the military. He joined the volunteer home guard before the war started. So he was already headed down that path. And, uh, does it help you identify where you came from? Uh, most certainly. Uh, and, and how does that feel? Uh, it, it feels awesome. Uh, very proud. Um, but it also looking back on, um, uh, when we used to go visit, um, you know, little things that you would never pick up on at the time. You know, you look back and you go, now I understand why he was so interested in that. You know, uh, I remember one day when I showed up and I, I, I just bought a couple of rifles and I wanted to shoot them and they had a great farm. So I figured I'd take it there and I'd shoot it. And he basically chased me on his golf cart all the way across the field because he wanted to be involved, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Okay. You know, and this is, you know, remember, go back. I didn't even know he was in the military. I had no knowledge of that. So none of that really clicked at that time, right? It would have made for some different conversations had I known what I know now, but then we wouldn't be here, right? So, hey, it's all good. I don't believe I mentioned in the uh, part one that I was successful in getting him awarded posthumously a medal from the Dutch Ministry of Defense. Um, that was one of my initial goals. Um, you know, give credit where credit is due. Here's a soldier. He did the job for you. You sent him there. Give him the medal. He did what he was supposed to get done. Um, but back in that time, the Dutch military was not handing out medals like candy. It was, it was, the onus was on the individual soldier to say, hey, I was there, you know, get it verified by maybe an officer or something, and uh, you might get awarded the medal. Whereas opposed to today, your unit goes and does something, everybody in the unit gets the medal, right? So so um, for him to not have a medal, um, well, that's just not giving him the recognition that I thought he needed to have. Uh, recognition from his government. And I just want to say... It, you know, wearing your medal, it's, it's not about showing off to the civilian world, hey, look at me. It's more about amongst each other, amongst the soldiers themselves, right? It's the recognition, the pride of having done this, being part of this, right? So that, that part of it was missing. So initially when I started this research, one of my goals was to definitely prove that he was there because it wasn't on his records and to hopefully get a medal awarded. So uh, it took a lot of work because I had to provide the evidence, uh, which I did, and apparently successfully. Very shortly after I submitted it, uh, they sent back a nice little note and official letter along with the medal. And I presented that to my mother because I wasn't doing it for me. It's not my medal. So I, I gave it to her, and, you know, when she's done with it, I'll take it back, and uh, I'll display it. So uh, I thought that was kind of cool. So... 
we got that at least. <laughs> so uh, down the road, um, I'm actually probably going to seek a different metal. Um, there were two given out, one for mobilizing, which he most definitely did, but another for fighting in the face of the enemy, if I can use those terms. Um, he did not get the one for fighting in the face of the enemy because we couldn't provide any proof at that time. And their own government had absolutely no records <coughs> that he was in a spot where he did actually face the enemy. So, I mean, they did right. You can't prove it. You're not getting it. So eventually I'll put it together where I can present the government again with another package, uh, hopefully with enough proof that they will actually award them that medal. Now, some might say, well, why bother? Long time ago, you know. Well, that's, again, that's, that's not correct. The information is not correct. We have to make this right. And that's what this whole thing's about. You know, don't just put this information out there that's general. Well, you're talking about contacting museums who have gaps in their in their information. So when you're submitting these to, if the goal is to get a medal, you're also providing information that fill in the blanks for these quote-unquote expert places. Uh, absolutely. It, it not only uh, awards the soldier with what, what he deserves rightfully, but it, it also will hopefully amend their records to show that this was yet another person that was there. And, and uh, who knows where that record's going to lead for somebody else doing research. So it, it's all part of a bigger thing. And uh, yeah, it is important to me. Can we pause? I just want to say it's 10.30. So I know you said you work at 11. I just mm -hmm. want to be mindful of whatever it is that we want to get through today. <coughs> and also to say that you do not have to get through it in just two shows. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> Yeah, Jim, and you're, like she said, you're welcome to come back again. You're also welcome to come back down the road as you get different pieces of evidence or and as you move forward with the story and find things out. Sure. Uh, when, when do you want to wrap it up then? About 15 minutes. Okay, just let me have a quick boo Just here. so you know. <clears throat> Are you writing down the time? Yeah, so I have hit on most of the stuff I wrote notes on, so I don't think okay. we're doing too bad. Um, just one more thing about the... Uh, Mr. Fitz, if you remember Fitz. No. You don't remember Fitz? No. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to leave that selection thing till I get a little bit more information because I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Can you end it today on the story about the bird the and bird. going home? Yes. And just... I can, I can do the bird. Even if after Fitz. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Okay, so... Um, I'm going to go now to another one of the sessions where we were trying to get more information on the POW camp he was in in 1940 up in Posen or that town starting with a B. <laughs> and uh, we were working on what did you see, what did you do? And then I asked the question, was there anybody that you knew that you were there with? And he came out and said, Jan. Now, Jan can be... J-O-N, it can be J-A-N, or it could be John. Now, since he's Dutch, we'll go with Jan or Jan. <laughs> that makes any sense. So it should be like a joke in there or something. <laughs> Actually, I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, 
apparently Jan was a doctor. And uh, my grandfather was trying to convince Jan that he shouldn't advertise the fact he was a doctor. Uh, I guess Jan wanted to do the thing to help the fellow patients or fellow prisoners there. But my grandfather kind of thought that if you make note of the fact you're a doctor, that you're potentially opening yourself up to be grabbed by the Germans to use for their purpose. And you might end up doing stuff that you're not going to like. So he spent his time convincing Jan to not open his yap and say, hey, I'm a doctor, right? And uh, so we were trying to find out who Jan was. And I believe you gave the last name of Fitz. Now, is that a real name? Is that a fake name? I don't know. Jan Fitz. But uh, apparently there's a book that's been written with him in it. And so I'm on the hunt for that. I do not have... Excuse me, I do not have that yet, book yet, so, but I will find it. And, uh, so yeah, those are, you know, over part one and part two here, this, uh, the podcast, uh, we've gone through quite a few of the sessions and, and, and the clues that have come out. And, uh, hopefully I've shown, uh, that the clues are, are more than just clues or more than just ramblings, um, a lot of evidence has been found to support all of these clues. And uh, this has led me uh, to build this story where I would have never been able to do it before. Uh, it, it's become an, an extremely awesome adventure, and I think we're going to be doing this for a long time yet because it may have only been five years of my grandfather's history. But if you can imagine what happened in one day during the war... Uh, an awful lot of events took place and uh, to go back in history and try and dig these things up that takes a lot of time so there's going to be a lot of sessions coming up yet so uh, I'm looking forward to that and um, I'm just going to end with a, a little story one of the sessions um, I don't really remember what we were going on about but my grandfather decided he'd call me Bluebird and I could not figure out why you call me Bluebird, right? That's a pretty bird, but why Bluebird, right? Well, I was sitting at home and I was actually preparing to come in here for another session. And I was reading over my notes um, because I wanted to know where I was going to be headed. And I came to that session notes where it said Bluebird. And I said to myself, Bluebird, that's cool. I haven't seen one of those for a long time. And I turned and I looked out my window into the yard where my feeder is and there was a bluebird sitting there. And that, that was, okay, I don't believe in coincidences anymore, but you know, there's a bluebird. Uh, I've been living there for, what, eight years now and I've never seen a bluebird. I've seen every kind of bird there is, but not a bluebird. And when I say bluebird, I don't mean a blue jay. This was not a blue jay. This is actually a bluebird. Looks totally different. A lot smaller. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. So somewhere in there, someone's trying to tell me something again. So, yeah, game on. He's still around. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, I, I like the, I, I love to seeing the transition um, from the first time that you come as you move through and as you get your affirmations, as you do the digging and you work so hard that when you come back, you would come into the room and say to me, because say to me, um, so, so I've got something to share with you. 
and you'd sit down and say, so five sessions ago, you said this, and this is what I found. And how wonderful it was for me to sit there and go, okay, I'm not crazy. <laughs> um, okay, this is this is amazing. He's you're working this hard, your grandfather has figured out how to, I'll say orchestrate this um, to a purpose that the two of you have that contract between the two of you to create that relationship. And that I get to be a piece of it, Jim, watching his response to you because I get to see him and hear him and feel that and how much he loves you and how proud he is of you. And how he sees that when you you make these efforts, to figure something out, it's actually translated in, into love. It actually becomes part of a, the, the a feelings that you create for him and for yourself. And I get to be just a tiny, tiny piece of that to feel that energy between the two of you. And it's been delightful. Oh, yeah. It, it's delightful, yes. Entertaining, absolutely. <laughs> delightful for me. Some people might think, yeah, it's been very frustrating for Jim. <laughs> but, and, and it's true, frustrating. But I think of the reward after you've worked so hard for something. And, and to hear that piece of the story, and how exciting it can be that if people are listening to the podcast show, and they have that last name, or they have a piece of the story to share with you, or they know the Italian with the cleft with the sh nickname shorty and blah 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 all those pieces that maybe this is going to be just like steps in another direction for you too yeah oh absolutely it's mm -hmm. uh it's taken me in many different directions uh, daily daily and uh yeah i think i think the clue way of doing this is uh kind of made it far far better uh you know anyone could sit down and get the story and, and get it thrown at you right away how much of that are you actually listening to, right? Uh, it's too easy to zone out, right? If you have to actually work for it, you, you're going to get involved with it. You're going to be part of the story that way. So uh, this this has been great. Okay, so Jim, thank you. Um, we are inviting you back. So if anybody that's listening to this wants to hear the story continue, or has pieces of it to share with you, they can email us at info at bysarlo.com. And we invite them to go to the website bysarlo.com because Kelly um, has taken some of the photos that you have shared with us um, uh, and put up the gun and the map and all these, the M and all these different things and pictures of yourself and your grandfather so that if they want to check something out and be part of giving you pieces um, to what you're you're searching for, um, they're welcome to do so by going to the site, again, by sarlo.com. So, Jim, thank you very much. Yeah, and uh, thanks for letting me come here. This uh, Again, it's always been a pleasure. <laughs>